Hi, everyone. Hope you had a great Halloween. Today, we're going to be talking about one of my characters from Sammy New York, the Dean, or, you know, as his actual name is, Benjamin Cox. He is the Dean of the Faculty of Law at Ambrose College, which is Sam's university. Before he became the Dean, Benjamin was a professor who taught various ethics courses at Ambrose. The Dean sees Sam as a nail that needs to be hammered down, while Sam finds the Dean to be beyond irritating and a control freak, especially with how the Dean is so concerned with more than just getting him to pass his classes. He's a very moralistic person who wants to quote unquote, help Sam by molding him into what he thinks a normal student should be. So he's very authoritarian and he's probably even stricter than Lev is. It's really interesting to, to learn more about uh, the Dean, especially since I know that he has undergone a lot of development in, um, in, in the recent time. So uh, I wanted to ask you for Tino's Games, could you tell us a bit more about the background, his, his backstory, what he's like and what, what, what his family is like? Sure. So the Dean or Ben, as he was known before he became the Dean, grew up in a cold and unloving home, even though they were very well off. His father was a Presbyterian pastor who was a part of the, quote, Third Great Awakening, which is one of the religious movements in the English-speaking Protestant world. A social conservative who preached against social and moral ills such as alcoholism, gambling, and lust, Ben's father was well known for his fire and brimstone lectures about salvation, sin, and godliness. He was a part of the social gospel movement as well, which applied Christian ethics to social problems such as crime, lack of unionization, racial tensions, slums, fatherless homes, poor schools, and economic inequality. Ben's father was also obsessed with the second coming as a post-millennialist, and he often talked about the perils of sin and how they needed to repair the world before Christ can come back for the second time. Despite the Dean's father's strictness, however, his father secretly struggled with alcoholism. He was severely depressed and anxious. And you know, Ben's father eventually committed suicide when, the ben, when ben was only 16 years old, a year before he suffered a life-altering spinal injury from horseback riding. Ben was able to fortunately walk again, albeit with a slight limp, within a year or so, but he never regained his potency, something that haunts him to this very day. So that is the kind of family life he grew up with. It was very restricting, cold, and it really shaped his character in a way. And, you know, especially with his father committing suicide and him suffering such a life-altering um, life injury a short while after that. Exactly. That, that is a, a series of tragedies that truly marked him. Uh, how do you think his father's suicide affected him? And uh, how close was his relationship with his father? You said that his father was strict, but well, we see a lot of, of, of his father in Benjamin, right? I think they have a great deal in common. Um, how do you think it affected him, his father's suicide? I think his father's suicide made him question his faith because, you know, he thought that his father was someone who did everything right. You know, he's so godly, he's a pastor, 
and you know he provided a lot of moral guidance to people at his church and people he knew so um once he committed suicide i think benjamin found out that his father struggled with a lot of things that he never told him about such as alcoholism severe anxiety and depression which made Ben really question whether religion can provide a cure to all of these ills, because he thinks of his father as someone who did all everything right, you know, everything that, you know, he said he did, but then he was actually a hypocrite who hid a lot of things from people and projected a false image for society. So it makes him double down on religion. He wants to research more about the relationship between ethics, morality, and religion, which is what he later majors in at university. Mm, I see, I see. And does it shake his belief as well? Because, uh, well, his, his father relied a lot on his faith during his life, but he still had problems that couldn't be solved in that way. Does it make him question anything in, in religion? Or, or does he think that it was rather a flaw in his father's character and not in religion? I think he thinks there are some flaws in religion, especially since he sees himself as part of another great awakening. Um, the third great awakening took place from the 1850s all the way to 1930, I think. So he was also part of the third great awakening. But then people from an, the later part of the third great awakening could criticize people from earlier parts of it. So maybe he thinks of himself as, you know, more advanced than his father was like he thinks more clearly about religion because a lot of people in this tradition do see religion as something that needs to be changed over time you know something that needs to be corrected as more people interpret god's word more accurately or you know in a way that better society because you know the dean is very obsessed with interpreting the bible in a way that helps society to improve Oh, I see. I see. I see that. That makes sense. Um, okay. What about his mother? I think his mother was a very depressed person as well. And she was kind of distant from him, but she was not really strict. But at the same time, she listened to a lot of the things that a lot of the things that his father said, seeing him as, you know, a pillar of society. Mm, I see. I see. Uh, so uh, what's his relationship with his parents like? I think in general, his relationship with his parents was rather distant. They were not that loving, but they did support him in his academic endeavors and they were pretty well off. So, you know, he never really had to think about getting a job that, you know, put bread on the table. He was just mostly just thinking about what he wanted in life. So he does come from a place of privilege and he realizes that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so yeah, it, it is good that he's conscious of it, but uh, at the same time, he had he's had another uh, another tragedy in his uh, in his life very early on when he has the accident. Um, so um, you you mentioned his uh, impotency, uh, and he marries later on, doesn't it? That, what is his wife like, and uh, does he mention anything about this? this issue to her before it, marriage? No, he doesn't because he thinks that if he tries hard enough and if he follows all the rules, he will be cured, right? He really hopes that before they get married, he will be cured. And he hopes that because he saves everything for marriage, he is the kind of Protestant Christian who really believes in a lot of the purity, 
believes. So he really thinks that he's going to save kissing for marriage, like, you know, save holding hands for marriage and all of that. And he, it, it's kind of like a prosperity gospel, like that he thinks that if he follows all of these rules, then God's going to reward him and fix all of his problems. But obviously, he follows all of these rules, and he even creates some rules to follow based on his own interpretation of the Bible, but it doesn't work, you know, it actually sets him up for more disappointments. I see. I, th that's that's pretty sad. Um, and what is his wife like? His wife is, you know, a very um, religious person. She came from a religious family, and you know they they met at church at a Bible study. And I think she's also a pretty quiet and um, I guess she is some someone who looks for someone to follow. She's a follower, not a leader. So she really admires how Ben is, you know, leading so many people at church. He leads Bible study. He is always proposing new ways to interpret the Bible and like, you know, mission trips and a lot of like charity events. So she really admires that in him. And I guess it's only after they get married that she actually starts seeing his flaws because he does a very good job of hiding all of his flaws. And because she's a sheltered and naive person, she really did believe that he was the person he presented himself as. Like she never thought about any flaws he could have had. Like he's like, oh yeah, she's, she's like, oh yeah, he's really great. He's patient, you know, he follows all the rules. He's a very disciplined person. He's very religious. You know, he, he likes, helping the poor with the charity events you know he's a great leader like she only thinks about him in those terms and it's not until after they get married that she sees his flaws which is that he's very stubborn he doesn't he's very he's an egotistic person he doesn't want people to look down on him or pity him so that leads to a lot of arguments and you know kind of giving each other the cold shoulder a lot because he doesn't want to be vulnerable and this is something that really comes up in their relationship a lot and causes them to have a lot of conflict. Mm, yes, yes. And and obviously before they their marriage, she didn't really have the opportunity to know him because I don't imagine they had a, a very long relationship before they, they married, mm -hmm, right? Because exactly. They saw each other as, as the ideal partner right away i i imagine because they they saw in each other the um um the, the qualities they wanted to find in a life partner so they they married early on and they didn't really have time to know each other mm -hmm. so yes of course of course the the flaws of a person are more apparent the more the more you see them in different situations and not just how they present themselves mm -hmm. would you say that benjamin is hypocritical or is it uh, I mean in in not um, or in creating an, an image for himself and in not telling his wife about his issues uh, especially the the potency one or would you say that he's the kind of person who uh, um, thinks that if uh, um, if if he pretends and tries well enough to be the person he wants to be, he will actually be that person. So it's not that he wanted to hide something from her, but rather that he, this is how he actually thinks uh, it should be done. I think he thinks it's actually how it should be done. And he thinks that there's a certain way to act in society because he was raised with the concept of you have to be a certain way to be proper. So he thinks this is how he is. Like he doesn't really think about projecting himself or a facade, which is different from Sam because Sam realizes 
there's different masks he uses depending on who he's talking to. But the dean doesn't really think about that because he thinks there's only one way of being proper in society. And this kind of stubbornness and, and, and insistence that there's only one proper way of being a certain person or playing a certain role is something that he kind of enforces while he's the dean of the faculty of law. Exactly. So, so he basically wants other students to, to follow his example, not, not really because it's his example, but because he thinks that this is the only way to be proper. Right. Exactly. So he, he sort of pushes his own model upon his students, uh, and he does this because he he wants he wants them to succeed. Right. So. Because mm -hmm. he thinks that this is how you become a successful student and eventually a lawyer or academic, depending on what you want to be, because he believes that you know, as the dean, it's his job to help the students become the people they want to be and that society wants them to be. So this is why he pushes a lot of these ideals and these, you know, models of behavior onto them. Mm, right, right. Uh, and uh, this is what happens between him and Sam, right? Um, the, the dean um, counsels a lot of students with uh, different uh, outcomes, right? But but on Sam, uh, his his own role model and his own methods of of enforcing that model um, are, don't really have the results that he expected, do they? No, not really, because Sam is very different from him, and he doesn't like the idea that he has to follow a certain way of behavior or what's expected from him, because. Sam doesn't even want to be at law school in the first place, which the dean doesn't take into account because he assumes everyone is really grateful to be at this law school. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah, and, and he doesn't really understand what Sam is doing there if, if he doesn't want to be there, right? Exactly. He's like, why are you here? And why did you even apply to law school if you don't want to be here? Like, he doesn't think about it. And he thinks that he's being immature. And, oh, you want to be in law school, Sam. You just say you, say you don't want to because you're getting bad marks. That's what he thinks. Exactly, exactly. So maybe he wants to, to, to pique him, to make him more ambitious, right? And this is why he criticizes Sam. Mm -hmm, exactly. So his intentions are, are obviously good. It's just that his methods uh, really don't work on Sam. Maybe they do work on some students, but Sam is definitely not from that category. No, definitely not. I would say that the dean isn't very tolerant of other categories. He's like, you know, if you're not like that, why are you even here? Like, go to another school because this is a, you know, it's a very prestigious school. You know, we're on par with Harvard or whatever. So I don't know why you're here because, you know, if you're not good enough, just go to a community college or something. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, um, you you said that he is not really tolerant of, of other, categories of people. Would you um, elaborate a bit on how this reflects upon Sam and what Sam's reactions to their conversations are like? So while the dean says that he is very, you know, liberal and that he accepts people from all socioeconomic and cultural backgrounds, in practice, he does do some things that are not very inclusive. So for example, 
because he's one of those patriotic types who thinks that there's only one way to be an American. He does believe that, you know, people who have immigrated here need to be, you know, they need to be totally obsessed with being 100% American and just trying as hard as possible to assimilate. So he doesn't like it when he hears other languages in public. Yeah, he doesn't really say anything that's rude, but he gives people a look. He's like, why are you speaking that? You know, we're in America. You have to speak English in public. I don't care what you speak at home, but you need to speak English in public. So as you can surmise from that, he's not really a fan of stuff like Yiddish theater because they're not speaking English and they're on the theater. So <laughs> that's not something he's really a fan of because um, the dean is also kind of a fearful person. He really fears because a lot of people who were conservative at that time, which he's kind of a conservative in some issues and kind of liberal in others, but towards immigration, he's definitely conservative. He thinks that he's really afraid of American culture getting diluted or wiped off because there's too many immigrants. Like that's what he really fears. So this is yeah. why he really pushes for you know, people like Sam and like, you know, people who are the descendant of immigrants to be really Americanized because he thinks if it's like that, if more people become Americanized, then American culture won't die out because of immigration. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and surely he also ju justifies it that uh, it is also to the benefit of the immigrants, right? So you came to America because you wanted to become an American, then why mm -hmm. are you not trying harder, right? Mm -hmm, exactly. So he also assumes that American culture is the best. So he buys into the idea that, you know, they are the shining city on the hill and they're like an example to all nations. And this is why so many people want to come here because, you know, we just have better values, you know, we're more democratic, we're, we're nicer, we're more polite, we're more advanced, et cetera, right? So he's like, you know, we're so great. So why don't you join us? Like, why do you still hold on to the old world stuff? Mm, yeah, I see. I see. Yeah, I, I, I totally see why why he gets into into conflicts with Sam, or rather, Sam gets into conflicts with him because their their values really clash in this respect. Mm -hmm, exactly. I think it's not only Sam, but I guess he doesn't interact with him, but Lev would also really dislike it because he thinks that, you know, the Dean's values are actually hurting a lot of people. You know, he's not like the KKK. He's not advocating for like, you know, killing minorities or anything, obviously. But these kind of subtle attitudes towards minorities and immigrants can actually hurt a lot of people in the long run. You know, they can, you know, separate families. A lot of people like the dean were pushing for immigration to stop. So what happens would be like, you know, for example, the father immigrates to America, but then suddenly they bar immigration from, let's say, Poland. So the wife and the kids can never come to America and they can never reunite. So this is what could happen. So this is why Lev and Sam are against these kind of immigration restrictions, because they can hurt a lot of families in the long run. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure the Dean doesn't think about it in this, in this detail to this depth. So um, I, I think he just thinks that it's, it's, it's best, even if some people are sacrificed, but it's for the greater good or something. Mm -hmm, exactly. Yeah. And he really thinks about, you know, society as a, a macro image, like he doesn't really think about individuals, especially as the Dean, because, you know, he's responsible for promoting the identity and the 
and the reputation of his college, right? So then he's always thinking about the big picture. Even if some people fall through the cracks, like Sam and other students who are doing very poorly, he's like, well, that's your fault, you know? You know, you didn't try hard enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you mentioned that he's liberal in certain respects. In what respect is he liberal? He's liberal in that he believes in economic equality. Like he really does think that there needs to be more work done to ensure that the slums are, you know, kind of integrated better and that slums can be done away with. So people who are living there can have, can experience a better lifestyle because he does believe in helping the poor and helping people who are unemployed to get better jobs or get permanent employment. And he's also against, you know, the horrible, the factories. I mean, the factories, they treated people terribly. People were injured. Like he's against that as well. Mm -hmm. I see. So, so in this respect, he takes after his father because his father used to have these values as well. Exactly. All right. Um, can we go back to his relationship with his wife? Because I also found that uh, an, an, interest, an interesting aspect of, uh, of his family life. Um, what, well, you, you mentioned that his wife uh, starts seeing flaws in him. Does he start seeing flaws in her? I think he does. I mean, he thinks that she's not grateful enough. He thinks that she's not religious as he is because, you know, she starts complaining and she, and he's like, you know, you should be grateful for what you have. I'm already trying so hard. You know, I'm already so great, you know, at church, I'm pretty much always leading everything. So I think there's a lot of conflict between what she really wants and what he wants. And he actually hates the fact that she has so many expectations for him because he thinks that he's already so good. And the fact that she has so many expectations for him makes him feel insecure because he doesn't know what he can do to make her happy. Mm -hmm. I see, I see. Um, so how, how is their, well, romantic life? I, I really don't see Benjamin as being a romantic person, but does his wife expect that of him or uh, is she resigned with, I don't know, she, she has learned not to, to want more in that department or what do you think? I think she wanted it to begin with, but then she just thought he was really like, you know, he would warm up eventually. But when it started becoming obvious that there were issues and that he wasn't warming up and he was actually the opposite of that he every time she wanted to warm up to him she would he would just make up some excuse or like you know maybe like oh you know i'm really busy i have a headache or something like that so it was obvious that he was avoiding her on certain levels so from her her perspective it's hurtful and he doesn't want to communicate to her about this like he doesn't think he has the problem so the implication it seems like is that she's the one with the problem but she doesn't know what the problem is and she doesn't know why um you know why they are like this why are they drifting apart or were they ever even close to begin with because one of the issues that i think his wife doris has is that she always questioned um whether they were actually even close or even had anything in common to begin with other than religion because that was how they got to know each other and that was how she was like oh he's so great because of you know all his religious activities but beyond his religious affiliation and his beliefs and his academic achievements, who is he really? 
Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, so, well, in a way, she starts to question her decision to marry him, but there's no, definitely nothing that can be done now, especially for people with their uh, moral values or the, their views of what uh, propriety uh, should be. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And her parents really approved of their marriage, too. So there's also like a phase thing, like if they divorced, everyone would know. And, you know, on the surface, they look like the perfect Christian couple, especially how, you know, um, Doris's parents really approved of Benjamin because he felt like he was like the perfect, you know, son-in-law who just followed all the rules and, you know, had all these achievements. Definitely, definitely, and 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 to some extent, to some extent, um, he he is, and and he's successful, and he provides for her and all that. So maybe um, she or um, other people like her, her parents would think that um, it, it is it is shallow to want anything more than that. Or Benjamin uh, really does try to to make her feel like she is the she's being shallow for wanting more and that she's being ungrateful for the life that they have together mm -hmm, exactly there are more important things that she has than the ones that she doesn't have exactly yeah and he would probably say something like he would quote something from the bible and say you know we have to be grateful or something because that's how he usually um, talks to her. You know, he's always quoting the Bible or saying, we need to study the Bible together more if, you know, they have a disagreement. So it always feels like what's he implying is that she's not as religiously inclined as he is. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. Um, well, there is certainly a lot of frustration in, uh, in his behavior, right? A, a lot of it stemming from his own insecurities which maybe if he learned to, to discuss with her more, he would be able to, to get over that. But I think that uh, somewhere deep down, he's afraid that he's being judged by her, right? Mm -hmm. Because growing up in his household, he was always being afraid of being judged by his parents. They never gave him any space to talk about his feelings or anything because his father was obsessed with following rules and his mother was just really cold and just listened to everything his father said. So he never grew up in a home where talking about feelings was encouraged. So he never had the idea of even doing it. Um, all right, so um, uh, are there any similarities between uh, Benjamin's relation with Doris and Lev's relation with Raisa? Because in some ways, he does have certain things in common with Lev. Definitely not those uh, about religion, but something about his um, uh, tendency not to want to show vulnerability and to, to seem in control of everything, right? Mm -hmm, definitely. I think in that respect, they are very similar. But I think Lev at least makes the effort, as you saw in the short story that I wrote last week, to to kind of face these um, realities that lie beneath the surface. But I think Benjamin, because of his religious inclinations, he just directs all of his negative emotions towards religion. Mm -hmm. I see. So, so he has uh, another way of dealing with this or rather not dealing, but sweeping it under the rug. But mm -hmm. Lev um, is more inclined to, to actually confront his, 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 
issues once in a while, right? And uh, and he's also not as rigid because he also doesn't have the frustrations that Benjamin has. And, That's and true. Priorities that Benjamin has because Lev's own uh, frustration rather come from the exterior because uh, his business isn't working as well as it should because he is maybe disappointed about uh, life in America that well he, he had hoped for better and he's worried about Sam but uh, he doesn't have the um, uh, the insecurities and the frustrations that Benjamin has so this is why it is easier to solve Sam, uh, sorry, Lev's, Lev's uh, problems um, in, or, or to get over it uh, in, in a way that leads him to a better communication with his wife. Whereas Benjamin feels that his own problems are, well, are, are too intimate to talk about, right? Mm-hmm, exactly. And it's because of that, that I think he has more problems than Lev. Yeah, yeah. So his his issues are also um, more more difficult to handle. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not just his personality and his upbringing that were different, but but he also had certain problems in his life that that Lev didn't have. But other than that, uh, it is quite similar, right? Especially from uh, the point of view of their wives, uh, Raisa and Doris do have certain things in common in this respect in that they they would like their husbands to be more open and to talk about their feelings more and and to to bring back some romance in their life even though in in the case of doris and benjamin it's not really bringing back because there there never was such a thing to begin with whereas for lev and raisa they they were quite an an affectionate couple in the beginning before all the, the financial problems started exactly so that's another difference because doris and benjamin never had anything to begin with other than religion yeah yeah, or masking their feelings with religion yeah Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah that's that's very true so yeah maybe they weren't such a good match to begin with and and doris is the one who who thinks about it whereas benjamin well, he, he, he is not the kind of person to even allow himself to think about that. No, of course not. And he thinks that, you know, he's already so blessed, you know, like, I mean, you can't have everything in your life. Mm, yeah, yeah, obviously, yes. Um, well, um, do you think that Sam sees any similarity between the Dean and Lev, his father? Oh, he definitely does. He thinks that they're both very authoritarian. But the main difference, as he notes, is that the Dean, he has all these attitudes towards people who don't fit his mold of what is correct, while his father is way more tolerant because his father himself, in America especially, he's an immigrant who will never be seen as quote unquote truly American. Well, the dean is, you know, the quintessential rich American who's been in the States for over 200 years. So it's very different. You know, the dean is, he's not a minority in any sense of the word. He has so much power, socially speaking. So, and the fact that he has all these ideas about people and the fact that they should conform, I think, angers Sam because the dean has the social power to make these um, beliefs more widespread through his actions and inactions while his father you know he's really a nobody in America so his ideas don't really matter 
even if he was intolerant, which he's not, like he's tolerant towards those things. He's just not tolerant of Sam not being a lawyer. Ironically, that's the one thing that he's not tolerant about. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So there, uh, in spite of these little similarities, their attitudes are actually very different in respect to to tolerance because Lev was was quite a revolutionary, especially when he was younger. So in this way, he he is a complete opposite mm -hmm. of uh, of the dean. But exactly. somehow in, in their relation with Sam, at that point in Sam's life, they, they have a similar behavior and a similar effect because they both try to, to push him to be better in a way that he doesn't really want to be better. This is not what he wants for himself, but they keep saying, you, you say you don't want it because you are immature and because you're lazy and you don't want to put effort. Mm -hmm. This is what's good for you. I know what's good for you. And this is their attitude, both. Mm -hmm. The attitude of both. Exactly. Mm -hmm. They both have a very similar approach to forcing Sam to fit into what they think is best for him. Mm. Um, how is the Dean with other students? Because he, um, maybe he's a good role mother to a lot of the other students some who don't belong to minorities in the way that Sam does or, or those who really want to be good lawyers? Mm -hmm. I think for people especially who want to be good lawyers, he's a pretty good role model. But interestingly enough, the dean himself never was a practicing lawyer. He was a pure academic. So after finishing his Bachelor of Laws, he went to do a master's in research about morality and ethics and religion, and then he did a PhD. So his whole life, he's been in the academic field. He's never actually gone out and been a lawyer. So ironically, he can only give advice about how to study for tests and like do research papers. But if you're actually going to ask the dean about, you know, how do I actually become a lawyer after law school, I don't think he can be much help. Oh, yeah, definitely. So he is quite um, rooted in, in, in that path that he has chosen and he doesn't know much else. Uh, exactly. He doesn't, doesn't know much about the practice, just about the, the theory of, mm -hmm. of law and the, the philosophy of law, but not, not about the practice. No, no. Does he have a favorite student? Yes, he does. And we actually know him because he's one of Sam's friends. And that is Tom, because Tom has a lot of similarities with how um, the dean perceived himself as a younger man. They're both very athletic, very into team sports, which is something that the dean really likes because he thinks that it, it develops character. So there are certain sports that uh, the dean promotes and other sports that he doesn't really like. So he likes stuff like football, um, soccer. Uh, basketball, anything that has team related, you know, events. But if it's like a singular sport, like boxing, for example, he's not such a big fan of it. Well, I mean, he's okay with it, but he doesn't think that students should be too obsessed with it because he thinks that it doesn't develop community spirit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see. I see. So, so, so he sees sports as a way to build character more than anything else. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, well, he, he used to be quite sporty, right? But, the, but then he had that riding incident. And so he, 
uh, he also has a limp you mentioned right mm-hmm, so he does you're not really practice sports at this point can he? no he's not he's not he hasn't been able to be athletic for over 50 years I think well no no 40 something years but yeah yeah wow yeah yeah it's yeah I, I, uh, I do feel sorry for him because uh, this is certainly another source of frustration for him so he he needs to be really strong to to not think about these things and, and focus on uh on his achievements and not his failures mm-hmm, exactly and this is why he connects well with tom because he sees him as another you know very driven young man because you know tom really does want to be a lawyer or at least he's trying hard in law school like he knows that there might not be a chance for him to be a lawyer, at least in New York City, because he doesn't have any connections there. But he tries really hard in law school, which makes him different from Sam, who doesn't try at all. And as the dean pointed out in my draft novel on Tapas, you know, he thinks Sam is someone who doesn't contribute in any meaningful way to any class discussions. You know, Sam is either saying something that's like you know some kind of smart Alec remark, or he doesn't know what to say, or he just gives people like a no, really nonsensical answer, you know, like he's not even answering the question. So this is something that the dean doesn't like because it's obvious that Sam wasn't paying attention to anything the professor said. Oh yeah, I see, I see. I, I can definitely see why the dean finds that annoying. And especially in comparison to someone like Tom, who is always so so serious about what, what he's doing. He takes everything seriously and he, and he prepares thoroughly, right? Mm-hmm, exactly. What does Tom think about the dean? Does he like the dean? I don't know if he likes him. Like he thinks that, oh, it's good that the dean likes me, you know, like he can make, write me a reference letter if I need one. But does he really like him? I think he feels like he's a little bit fake. You know, something about the dean often feels very like artificial. You know, he's always smiling and so polite, but you don't know if he actually feels that way about certain things. It's hard to read him especially for someone like for someone like Tom who is a little bit more naive than Sam is like he doesn't really think that clearly about human psychology kind of like how you talked about Hakon previously you know in our extroverted characters podcast like he's not like Hakon but like in some ways he's a little bit like him because he doesn't really think about people's psychology when he talks to them he just thinks about the impression that they give off and for the dean he thinks he's okay but he feels like if, you, if the dean doesn't like you, then he's not a likable person. But if he likes you, then he's okay. Like that's how he thinks of the dean. So he's he feels like he's lucky that the dean likes him, but if the dean didn't like him, he wouldn't like the dean. Oh yeah, I see, I see. Um, I, I think that Tom is quite shocked when, when he learns uh, what kind of conversations the dean and Sam have because they clearly have a lot of dissensions and, and and arguments in uh in private especially but also during classes and i think that tom is a bit uh surprised right because he was certain that the dean is such a nice and polite person and when sam tells him oh look what he said to me tom is a clever person so he so he he does realize that he just couldn't see it in the dean right 
Yeah, I mean, he kind of knew that he was judgmental, but he never personally knew anyone who got into fights with the dean. So I think when he finds out from Sam, he he thinks it's really funny, first of all, because a lot of Sam's responses to the dean are pretty funny. And he thinks that Sam has a lot of guts to say all these things to the dean. I mean, he can't imagine saying that to an authority figure because, you know, he he's really grateful for his chance to be at the university. So he doesn't want to mess up anything, but he really admires how Sam just, just doesn't care. Like, he's just so like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. Yeah, definitely Tom cannot like the Dean so much if we think that Tom likes Sam. He, Sam is the kind of person that Tom admires and Sam and the Dean are so opposite in, in well, every respect. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> How about Ardayan? Do you think um, the Dean is more opposite from Sam or more opposite from Ardayan? Um, yeah, that's a great question. I actually think that he's, well, Sam is, is his opposite because with Ardayan, um, well, maybe they do have, have certain things in common in, in the fact that they, um, they think they know what is good and what is bad. They think they, they hold the answers and all the other people don't. They think that they know better. Of course, the things that they know are opposite, but this attitude, I think they both have it in a way. That's true, yeah. I think they're both really arrogant then, right? Exactly, exactly, yeah. Arrogant mm -hmm. and so eager to impose their view on other people. Mm -hmm. Tell them, this this is correct this is what you should be feeling you don't know what you want, but i'm going to tell you what you want <laughs> <laughs> but for arda yan he's trying to do it to you know kind of challenge societal expectations while for the dean he's enforcing societal expectations exactly so in this sense they are exactly opposites mm -hmm. and arda yan yeah about sorry Oh my gosh, I was thinking of writing a short story about this, but Ardayan and the Dean would not get along. First of all, <laughs> you know how Ardayan owns that little bookshop with the anarchist yeah. literature and also um, some adult materials <laughs> at the back? <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, he does. I didn't know that there were this, that kind of thing. Wow, oh gosh. But I'm pretty sure that the Dean thinks that he is a, a, a depraved, a degenerate person. <laughs> oh, he thinks he is degenerate. And he hates the anarchism too, because he's like, you know, this is why we need to stop immigration from, especially from Russia, which is now, you know, communist and anarchist. He's like, we can't do this. You know, America, we are a God-fearing nation. We can't have people from a godless nation coming over here. <laughs> so he really doesn't like Ardayan. Like he, he, in his view, Ardayan stands for everything he's against. Not only is he an atheist, he's an anarchist who stands for, you know, being against societal expectations. And he has those dirty pictures at the back of his bookstore. That's not okay. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. And, and definitely Benjamin is, is uh, uh, annoyed by that on a more personal level. So he would say that these these dirty things just pollute society and, and the minds of people. But he, he also dislikes to think about that kind of acts for more personal reasons. So he has all the reasons to really dislike everything that Ardayan stands for. 
Exactly. And I guess when he finds out more about Ardayan as a person and how he's like, you know, a womanizer and, you know, he's always having affairs and stuff. Oh, he would hate him. Like he would think that this man has problems and he's like, I don't even know why. You know, he, he actually enjoys pissing people off, which is something that the Dean doesn't understand. You know, he's like, why would you enjoy pissing people off for the sake of pissing people off? Like this guy is just be, being influenced by satan or something like that's how he would see it because he is someone who thinks that you know you should obey all the rules that society has set down for you so why are you so obsessed with going against these rules well Ardayan thinks the opposite he thinks you know there are rules and you should oppose them you should question all these rules so dean why do you always follow these rules and never question them yeah so th they are both annoyed by each other <laughs> very much so Wow. Yeah, the a meeting between them would be quite well volcanic. <laughs> I was thinking of writing that and seeing what would happen between them in The Sims. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> How would they meet each other? Um, I'm not really sure. Um, I haven't really decided yet, but maybe one of the students that the dean is tutoring or seeing, like he mentions like, oh, you know, there's this guy who sells anarchist literature. What do you think of that? And then the dean's like, hmm, I didn't know about this person. I need to take a look. So then he, he's curious and he goes into his bookstore. Oh, yeah, I see. I see. And uh, would the dean try to get into a conversation with him and, um, and, and try to bring him to the right path? <laughs> I think he might try, but then he gets scared after he sees so many anarchist books. He's like, well, this guy is deep into it. You know, he's very deep into this kind of anti-government, you know, anti-social structure kind of thinking. What if he starts influencing me? Like he's scared of the fact that Ardayan might actually start trying to like, you know, cause he's a, he's a very manipulative person. He can sense that Ardayan in some ways is even smarter than he is like socially speaking, not in terms of like academic achievement, but he feels like, because the Dean himself is a little bit a sheltered person himself. Like he's not used to dealing with people who are so complex and understand human psychology so much. You know, he's a very straightforward person who's like, yeah, we follow all these rules that are set down by society and this is how we determine what is good and bad. So I think when he talks to Ardayan and finds out how complex he is, he's a little bit scared. He's scared of being influenced by, by him. Yeah, it makes sense because uh, in the beginning, he certainly thinks that he has the the higher ground because he he's the the more intellectual one, the the one who he, who has achieved a lot more, and that maybe he can he can I don't know teach him, save him, whatever. But uh, once he gets to meet him, he sees that he is uh, uh, indeed a dangerous person in that respect of spreading a dangerous ideology exactly so he's actually kind of scared to interact with him especially one-on-one -on -one. if he went in a group of students or like debate club members or something maybe he would feel more secure but if it's just him and Ardayan in the bookstore he's really scared of being influenced by him especially with those dirty pictures Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, well, uh, so if uh, if if he's judgmental of people who are uh, sensualists and uh, a womanizer like Ardayan, 
what would the dean think about someone who is uh, asexual or demisexual? So someone who is able to have sex physically, but chooses not to. Someone like mm. Ingvar, maybe. So would you think that Ingvar is a, is a serious person and a highly moral person? Or is he foolish for not taking advantage? I think he has like a controversial viewpoint. Well, not controversial, sorry. Um, What's the word? Like contradictory, yes. So yeah, like his like you know what he would think at first is that you know this guy is really great you know like you know he's he's not succumbing to lust and he's very disciplined but on another level i think if he thinks more about it he would think that wow i mean if i were him i would probably take advantage of that but he understands that people are different and they have different you know beliefs and different preferences so he wouldn't say anything but you know i think he would envy that person you know mm, yeah, yeah yeah definitely definitely yeah, he he would take advantage of it, but still in a in in a I don't know socially acceptable or morally acceptable way. I mean, he <laughs> with his wife, <laughs> no, not in the way that Ardayan does it, no. or something like Hakon. <laughs> no, <laughs> not <Dion>. Hakon, <laughs> or or even Ingvar, because Ingvar is homosexual. He probably doesn't approve yeah. of that. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. So if if they were to talk about sexuality, he would think at first, oh yeah, then yeah, you you are on the right path. You you are a serious guy. You can do it, but then you just choose not to do it. But then once he learns that if you were to do it, it would be with a man. Then yeah, that is a problem. <laughs> yeah, he would be like, oh well, it's good that you didn't choose it because in his viewpoint, because he's a traditional Protestant Christian, he thinks that it's not bad if you are gay, right? It's only bad if you actually do it. So like if you are, you have the inclination of being homosexual, but you don't do it, I don't think it's a sin. But like in his theology, it's only a sin when you actually do it. So he would think that Ingvar is abstaining from sin because if he does oh, do it- Oh yeah, yeah, that makes so much sense. Yeah, so, so maybe uh, in, from the Dean's point of view, maybe, Ingvar, this, this is why he's abstaining, because he, he knows it is a bad thing. So maybe if, if he weren't gay, he wouldn't abstain. Yeah, I think that's what he would think. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think that the dean has, um, or, or uh, my character that the dean is most alike would be Edgar, um, Ivan's brother. I think oh, yeah. That, yeah that they have quite a few things in common. Um, in terms of their uh, behavior in their marriage, um, even though, well, Edgar's marriage with his wife is not as chaste because he, I, I think it's the way that the Dean would be if he didn't have that health issue that he does. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I do think that they have quite a few things in common and also in, in the way that they act with people. Well, the Dean is nicer, but also because he is a, a teacher. So he has taken on the, the social role of guiding other people, whereas Edgar doesn't do that. But um, well, they, they have a lot of things in common, don't you think? I think so, yeah. And especially how Edgar is a very strict person who has, you know, a lot of ideals and he tends to enforce them on Aiden, right? 
Yeah, that's right. That's right. So he doesn't enforce it on on other people, but on Aiden, yeah, definitely, definitely. Mm -hmm. How does Aiden see Edgar? Like, I know that he kind of admires him, but is it because he has no other choice? Because you know he's his brother after all, so he has to look up to him, and he's nice to him superficially, so he has to accept him. But does he ever feel resentful towards the fact that Edgar likes to make so many decisions for him? Uh, well, with Aiden, I think that um, the issue is that he spends time with Edgar until he is 11 and he goes to the monastery. So because he is so young when they part ways, he retains an idealized image of Edgar. And so he, he sort of only remembers the good things. But when they do meet and Aiden is 18 and Edgar comes to visit, uh, the monastery, they have a different kind of interaction. And I think that uh, a lot of Edgar's flaws sort of come back to Aiden when they get to, to interact again, because now Aiden is an adult and he has his own views and, mm -hmm. and his own opinions. And he doesn't like how Edgar sort of treats him as a child or not even as a child, but, but someone who who is wrong, but doesn't know that they are wrong and they have to be taught mm. right and wrong. And, and it doesn't work anymore because now he's an adult and he doesn't want to be treated like that. So yeah, yeah the, the resentment comes later on when they meet again. Mm -hmm. That's kind of like the Dean too, you know, like Edgar always telling people that, oh, you know, you're not quite right. I'm going to fix you by telling you what to think. That's exactly like the Dean. Yeah, they have so much in common. Mm -hmm. that's, that's really interesting because I, I hadn't thought about it before. Mm -hmm. And Edgar is also very religious. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So a, a, a lot of the a lot of his opinions uh, do stem from religion. And he would also be the kind of person who would, um, I don't know, the, the interaction he has with his wife, a, a lot of them just uh, um, include them reading the Bible together and talking oh, and yeah. their problems through the Bible. Well, that's exactly like the Dean. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, that's right. That's, that, that's really interesting. Yeah, even though with Edgar, he didn't have that model in his family. So his father wasn't like that. I'm not sure what his mother was like. Um, I, I've never thought about Edgar's mother, so the alderman's first wife. I, mm -hmm. I have no idea, but he really doesn't take after his father in that respect. He is, he is he's actually kind of strange in that family because he's the only one who is so religious. Mm -hmm. so. <laughs> what influenced him to be so religious? Mm, well, I think that um, it's it's his his temper as well. I mean, he's He's a, a, a kind of a, a, a rigid and moral person, and he found all that in religion. So uh, I think that he 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 may take after his mother. So I, I do imagine his mother being a, a very religious person. So mm -hmm. so maybe this is how he um, he he came to admire this this kind of behavior. Mm -hmm. I see. So how, how, what is the role of religion in Edgar's life in general? Does he, like the Dean, also use the Bible as a way of 
hiding from his own vulnerability like he uses it you know as an excuse to oh yeah i mean i feel pretty good i just need to read more about the bible and i'll solve my problems that's a great question i i never really thought about it in that way but yes yes i think so i think that i think that fits yeah yeah, I think that he also relies a lot about and uh, upon upon the upon religion, and, and he thinks that it is not only the way in which other people could fix themselves and their problems, but the way in which he can fix his problems. So, so he finds refuge in it, um, in maybe you know, in in the same way that Merwin does. Mm-hmm. Does Edgar believe in miracles? Like if he does something enough or he follows all the rules, there's going to be a miracle or does he not see religion like that? Oh yeah. 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 He, he definitely believes in miracles. I mean, it's also the middle ages. So. Oh, I mean like the kind of miracles that happen because he's pious, like, or does he think that miracles just happen regardless of what he does because you know, it's God's plan. It's not part of man's plan. So it doesn't matter what he does. It's going to happen or it's not going to happen. Oh yeah, I see. Now I, now I I do think that, that he believes that uh, he can influence uh, what, what happens to him because uh, God chooses uh, the people who are pious and, he, and who put a lot of effort into it. This is what he believes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he, he does believe that uh, he will somehow be, be chosen to do great things if, if he's in turn very uh, respectful of, of religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what the dean believes in as well. So this is one of the other motivating factors that he has for being so pious, because he really hopes deep down, even though he does have some doubt that if he follows all these rules, and he does all these great deeds, then he will be rewarded, whether it's in, you know, our earthly lives or in the afterlife. Exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah, that that's really interesting. I mean, the, the dean actually thinks that it can literally solve um, a lot of his problems, right? And, and he also thinks that uh, maybe his his father didn't do well enough and, and didn't try hard enough, right? And this is why uh, faith or divinity didn't save him, but that mm-hmm. he's different and, and he can be saved in a way that his father couldn't. Mm-hmm. So he thinks that the Earldorman is not religious enough. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. He he really resents him. He doesn't want to to express his resentment of him because he he thinks it's disrespectful to for for a son to to speak badly about his father or to be um, well not to be judgmental but but to manifest his his bad judgments about his father. So this is why he doesn't do that. But he doesn't. He doesn't really uh, blame Aiden for not getting along well with the Elderman because he he's very judgmental of his own father mm-hmm. of the Elderman as well. Mm-hmm. So what about the Elderman does he not like especially? Um, well, the, the fact that he doesn't really take religion seriously enough. So of course he does believe in God, but uh, he he doesn't uh, he doesn't try to uh, to renounce sin 
he, he doesn't really care about it. He thinks that, oh, it's, it, it's okay. What, what I'm doing right now is enough. Look, I'm, I, I'm building churches. I'm, I'm giving money to the church. I'm, I'm taking care of people. I'm, uh, I don't know, holding uh, religious ceremonies and giving charity when it's a, a holy day. So this is enough. So, and, and he doesn't want to give up. I don't know, his extramarital affairs, for example. Oh, that's true. And that's yeah, what Edgar really doesn't like that, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And even though he has uh, at one point, uh, uh, I don't know, he, he has thoughts of, of another woman other than his wife, he really does his best to, to overcome that. And he's very proud that he has managed to overcome that and, and he would really hate himself if he didn't. So he makes a great effort and with, with the help of God, he manages to, uh, to, to, to break away from that moment and, mm -hmm. and leave that woman aside. So, mm -hmm. yeah. I remember that it was in that short story I read like four years ago, I think. And oh, the, yeah, 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 the other lady is in France, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, she, she is from Normandy. She, she was an, an English woman and uh, they were uh, friends when they were children and uh, they were in love when they were children, but she went away and married in Normandy. So when he visits her, it sort of rekindles mm -hmm. the, his affection for her. And he did love her more than he loves his wife or I don't know, I'm not really sure if they would have got along better, but this is definitely what he thinks. Maybe he, he has an idealized image of her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you think that Edgar is a little bit more idealistic than Dedean is? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. Do you think so? I'm not sure. Maybe a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I guess, I mean, the Dean also had some disappointments in his life, something that Edgar never had. Um, so, yeah, maybe I think he is more idealistic. Is he more arrogant than Edgar? Oh, I think they are both quite arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I can't really say who's more arrogant, but maybe... I don't know, because you said that Edgar is mostly focused on Aiden and, you know, putting him, like saying that he needs to do certain things, right? But does he do it to other people too? Well, uh, he doesn't care all that much, I think, to be involved in other people's lives. But if it is in an official capacity, well, <laughs> well, let's just say that he would be a great inquisitor. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> if we were in the time of inquisition. So I guess that makes him arrogant. <laughs> it definitely does. <laughs> would the dean be a great inquisitor if he did live in that time and setting? I think he would. I think he would. <laughs> <laughs> but he would be a very fake one. Like he's, he's kind of manipulative and tries to make it seem like, oh, I wasn't trying to force you to answer me. But then the, the questions he asks kind of makes you force yourself to answer him. Oh, I see. Yeah, that's right. Edgar is more straightforward, mm -hmm. a lot more straightforward than the dean. So he doesn't he doesn't pretend to be nice. <laughs> I don't know if it's better or worse, but he does. 
<laughs> yeah, the dean is really obsessed with proper manners and like, you know, not being too overbearing, but ironically, he is overbearing. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly in that kind of attitude. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I wanted to ask you something uh, that uh, is more about the process of uh, creation of this character. Um, in the beginning, he was just a minor character who antagonizes Sam. So his function in the story was mainly to peak Sam, right? But now he has become a character in his own right. How, how did that happen? Um, I think I was thinking about more short stories I can write and what kind of dysfunctions I can explore, because I think that's something that's really been intriguing me, especially like middle aged or older characters. And I was writing about Levin Riza last week. So I started thinking about the other older characters in Sammy New York and I thought about the Dean. So I was like, you know, what kind of problems does he have? I want to explore what kind of complexes he has that makes him the person he is. Okay, I see, I see. Yeah, definitely, because someone like, like the Dean who has a lot of um, flaws, we can say, in the way that he behaves with someone like Sam, uh, that definitely stems from somewhere, right? And, and so you had to explore his, his life and personality more to see how he has, he has grown to be the person he is now. Mm -hmm, exactly. And I thought it would be interesting also because, you know, how Joel was also very minor, but he also developed a lot as me and Tete will be exploring in a couple of days in another podcast that we'll record for next week. But yeah, Joel has also grown into, you know, a pretty solid character, despite him being very minor at the beginning. So I was thinking, are there any other minor characters that I can develop and turn into fully fleshed out ones? Mm, Harvey? What about Harvey? That's kind of hard though because I'm not sure what kind of role he would play. Like what does he symbolize? Because this, the Dean does symbolize something so it was easier to work with because I knew that he was supposed to symbolize you know so, so, certain social attitudes right and mm -hmm. also he's tied into the prohibition mo movement as well because you know sam and the others they also go to speakeasies and that's because of the social movement during that time to ban alcoholism because you know the dean was part of the social movement where they thought if you banned alcohol then you know all these problems will be solved with alcoholism and such oh yeah i see and it's a part of the process of making people better and preparing humanity for the second coming and all mm, that. Exactly. So ties together. And so the, the Dean stands for an entire social mentality. Mm -hmm, exactly. And the kind of society that Sam would have to deal with at this kind of elite college. Mm, yeah, that's right. That's right. So, so his, his function in the story, uh, especially in relation to Sam as the protagonist, is, is important. And, and this, is what, uh, this is why he required more development. Whereas Harvey, I don't know, he, he could be that person who holds the community together. Um, that's true. Like the small you know, shop yeah. owner who kind of represents the ordinary working man. And I guess another thing that he represents would be him seeing Sam grow up and the Abramovs get old because yeah, he is like one of the things, I mean, he, he's one of the people I should say, 
and the structures, it's not just people, but buildings and businesses. And he represents a business himself that, you know, Sam gets to see from when he's a baby to when he's in his 20s. So he's one of those things that just represents him growing up, represents Sam growing up. One of the thematic elements, I should say. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and his Delhi is also a place where people from that community gather and he knows everyone who comes to him and, uh, uh, and, and people talk to him. And yeah, maybe he stands for that, for a certain uh, unity and stability within the community. Mm-hmm. Do you think that, that, that warrants more development for him? It could be, yeah. I mean, let's see what happens. I think as I write more short stories and I challenge myself to write more during November because it's NaNoWriMo, right? On Twitter, as they said. So maybe I will write more about him. That's a very good idea because I didn't expect the Dean to be developed so quickly. So if, you know, the Dean and Joel got developed within these two weeks so quickly, why not Harvey? There might be other characters who are really minor who can spring to life. Exactly, exactly. Um, how far do you go when you have to develop a minor character? So uh, you have to write a good minor character, right, to, uh, to stand for something in the story. How far do you think you have to go in developing them? How much do you have to know about them? Hmm. I think I don't have to know that much about them per se. I just have to know the basics and how they would contribute to the plot and also what kind of role they serve in the plot. For example, the Dean is supposed to outline a certain social climate and social attitude. So I build his life around that, like the details of his life and the flaws that he has basically complement the role that he's supposed to play in the story. So that's how I build it. I don't really write a really, really long biography for the Dean or any of the other minor characters because that's not really the point. The point is to make them fleshed out enough so that they serve the role better. Mm, Yeah, exactly. So you first figure out his role in the story and the way they interact with the the main character. And then you think what led him to have those attitudes. Mm -hmm, Exactly. Yeah, I see, I see. Um, Is he a villain? I think he is. He, he is the, well, now we have Ardayan as well, but um, before him, he, he was the only character who could be termed a villain, right? I think so, yeah. So as Tete was joking in one of our streams, she said that the Dean is kind of like the final boss in a video game. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So if you get to defeat the Dean, then, then Sam has finally achieved himself. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, Ardayan, he's not really as big of a villain as the Dean, do you think? Because he doesn't represent a social attitude. He's just one individual asshole. I see, I see, yeah. Well, um, you and Tete did compare him to Mephistopheles, and, and that was a great comparison, which fits him very well. But that's right, he, he doesn't represent an entire category of people and, and an entire mentality that Sam has to, to battle on, on his way to well, fulfillment. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's just one person. So in the grand scheme of things, he's not as big a villain as, uh, as the Dean, but 
uh, on a personal level, yeah, that is much more um, um, malefic. Is that a word? <laughs> I, uh, well, yeah, dangerous, I, I, yeah. dangerous, harmful. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Malignant. Malignant. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Malignant, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Artyom, like Tete said, I think he has more power to harm people on an individual level because he annoys people more and he says more harmful things but the dean tends to keep it polite so he doesn't really harm people on an individual level yeah definitely definitely and in his role as as a dean and as a mentor uh i think that he uses his power only when he can help someone so write them a, a letter or something but he doesn't use that power to to harm someone right well maybe he can get someone kicked out from school but <laughs> yeah what do you think would be so bad to 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 warrant that person getting kicked out of school by the dean what would really trigger the dean because he doesn't want sam to be kicked out so it has to be worse than that cheating oh yeah that's right that's plagiarism right. yeah well, yeah, but then he does have a point. I mean, <laughs> he has a better point in um, in punishing someone for cheating and plagiarism than Ardayan has when he 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 goes after the people that he he wants to I don't know to provoke, right? Yeah, because Ardayan generally goes for vulnerable people. The dean only only uses his power where so when someone uh, is 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 doing something wrong. So, That's true. Yeah, he's mm -hmm. much more righteous than Ardayan, who doesn't even try to be righteous. He doesn't want to be righteous. No, he doesn't. He just sees life as a free for all, where he does he does whatever he wants. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Oh my yeah, God! Natural selection. The person who who survives is just bigger and better, and he and he he is the alpha. Of course. <laughs> While the dean doesn't believe in the alpha, he would say, you know, Jesus said, "I am the alpha and the omega." <laughs> he would quote that back at you. As Christians, uh, we are supposed to emulate Jesus, so we don't think about who is the first and who is the last. We are all equal before God. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, definitely. Only only God can claim to be the first or the last, and everyone else is just equal. So he he would really find that what Ardayan says is says is really a blasphemy. <laughs> Imagine the dean quoting the Bible to Ardayan. <laughs> oh, he would do that. He would definitely do that. And then you know Ardayan would just laugh because I don't think he even read the Bible once. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Nor does he want to. <laughs> yeah, an interaction between these two would certainly be a challenge for both of them. Mm -hmm, definitely. I think they would get so angry at each other <laughs> that they're yeah. like speechless. Yeah, Ardayan really can get people angry. I mean, in Sims, Raisa died because she was so angry with him. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the dean will die. <laughs> I know. So this is his special power. He can make people die just by annoying them. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> well, I don't think the Dean can piss people off that much. I mean, let's see if he can piss off Sam so much that Sam dies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. 
what would the dean think about trump oh my gosh okay this is interesting because he on the one hand would like some of trump's policies you know trump is against abortion which much the dean is pro you know he's pro against abortion like he's really against it he's pro-life he's not pro-choice so he would agree with Trump's policy on being anti-abortion and he would support the fact that he chose you know the conservative Amy Coney Barrett as the judge right to replace I think it was to replace Ruth um, Bader Ginsburg who was liberal so he would support the nomination of a conservative judge because he thinks there's too many liberals on the Supreme Court or something. And he would also think, he would also agree with a lot of these people. Like, I don't know if you've heard of him, Jordan Peterson. Oh like, yeah. Yeah, like he would agree with him that there's too many Marxists and too many left-wing people in academia. And he, he kind of feels like he's some kind of victim for being quote unquote conservative and an academic. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, he, he would be the kind of a person who really, uh, uh, who likes Jordan Peterson, right? <laughs> yeah, I think he would like him and kind of see him as similar as himself. You know, we're both conservative or like right-leaning, but then we're in academia, which is mostly left-leaning. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you think he has uh something in common or a lot of things in common with jordan peterson in in the way that their speeches are constructed i mean do should should we imagine the dean holding speeches in that way in in university maybe a little bit toned down and i don't think he talks as much about evolutionary psychology as oh, yeah, jordan peterson yeah, does parts, he's, yeah. he's not obsessed with like the gender stuff unlike jordan yeah. peterson but one thing that I think it's interesting about Jordan Peterson and Arda Yan is that they have the cap capability of pissing a lot of people off and they enjoy it. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, one part of me thinks that Jordan Peterson is actually putting up an ax and he's only doing this to sell his books and acts like, an, you know, like he can just get away with anything because he's like, oh yeah, this is what I believe. And he has so many fans who support him. So it's kind of like an act in a sense because he knows that if he does and says, says these things, he's going to get so many more page views. So in this respect, he has more in common with Ardayan, right? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> But yes, back to Trump, I think that despite agreeing with his conservatism, the dean would not like Trump's personal life. Oh yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. That, that so contradicts the Christian morality. So yeah, definitely someone who is actually a, a, a fervent believer like the dean would not approve of all that. And, 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 and I really bet that he doesn't understand how, how those things could go hand in hand. So how, how can you support some things that are Christian, but at the same time, let your 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 personal life go? Uh, I, I I think Trump and the Elderman do have a lot of things in common. Oh my God, you're right, because they claim to be <laughs> Christian, so but they don't they don't follow any of the things. And I think someone like uh, the dean, he would try to reason his way into it. And he's like, why do these people claim to be Christian, but they don't act like it? They would say he would say that you know, God is trying to convince them to walk on the right path, but unfortunately uh, they haven't really done that. You know, I think they're still falling into temptation. Hopefully God can help them to become more godly, but you know, right now they are still just beginning their walk with God. They're not, you know, 
a, a mature Christian. They're just a baby Christian. Because I did hear this weird sermon on YouTube where this pastor, like in America, he was saying that, yeah, I know that, you know, Trump is not a good Christian in many respects, but we still have to support him because he's the most Christian friendly candidate because, you know, he believes in anti-abortion oh. and stuff. So even though his personal life is very, very anti-Christian in many respects, they think that God will work a miracle so he'll become a better Christian. And they just choose not to focus on that because they just choose to focus on his policies and what his policies mean for Christians. Oh, I see. Yeah, that's actually one explanation because I, I never understood this this reasoning. But yeah, now now I see it. Um, it makes sense that some people would think like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because they think that both candidates are not good, really. But then they mm -hmm. would choose Trump because they agree with his policies, like on immigration, because some of them are anti-immigration and on abortion. But they don't support Biden because they think everyone on his team is too far left. Yeah, 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 that's right, that's right. Yeah. So, so it's more like, uh, let's choose the person who can do more for us mm -hmm. as Christians, mm -hmm. not, not the person that he is in, in his private life. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, maybe this is what some like Edgar thinks about the Elderman as well. So, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah it, that it, could be likely. Th yeah. There must be a lot of hypocrisy from the part of someone like that. So someone who, uh, who says, yeah, you, you should be Christian and you should do this and that, but I'm not going to do that because I'm too, I don't know, I'm too smart to do that, but you, you are stupid. You can follow those rules. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that the older man, yeah, the, this is definitely what, how he sees it. <laughs> so, oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Things in common, yeah, more, more like a strategy. You know? mm -hmm. Definitely. Mm. Yeah. yeah, this is interesting how this conversation was tiered towards um, contemporary issues. <laughs> yeah, that was really... <laughs> to, to, to go through mentalities from the Middle Ages, talking about Edgar, and then to your setting, and then to, to contemporary realities. <laughs> yeah, it just shows that, you know, the themes that we both explore in our works are timeless. Exactly, exactly, yeah. And that, well, peeps, people are essentially the same. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they are the same today as they were in the Middle Ages. It's just, mm -hmm. well, other parameters that have changed. But people, yeah, they are the same. Yeah, and this is something that we don't really think about. You know, as we previously talked about in a previous podcast episode, a lot of people assume that the Middle Ages was so different that, you know, a lot of things would be really different. But in reality, like you explore with your work, you know, it's not really that different. It's just that a lot of people, especially in the media, when they think of the Middle Ages, they choose to focus on things that make them seem really different. Like the wars, you know, like, you know, adding fantasy elements like in Game of Thrones or like the extreme violence or something. Yeah, exactly, exactly. When, when in reality, I really think that people would would be the same. So bring a person from the Middle Ages into our time, or vice versa, and they would they would adapt quite quickly to to live in that environment without any problems. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for all these awesome questions and explorations about the Dean. And thank you for, for discussing the Dean together. It was really fun learning more about him and, and comparing him to other characters of yours and of mine.
Yeah. Thank you so much. Bye. All right. Goodbye.